Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. We have launched a new podcast a couple of weeks ago called The Palcast, One World, One Struggle, hosted by the brilliant Palestinian writer, Dr. Yusuf Al-Jamal, and his longtime friend and collaborator, Helen Coben. Uh, and I'd recommend you check it out. The most recent episode was a tribute to Dr. Rifat Alarir, who you would have heard uh, on the Echo Chamber podcast several times, and who was killed deliberately by the Israeli military late last week. Now we need to ask you to dig deep. Put your hands in your pockets and throw us the price of a pint this Christmas and help us keep going into 2024. The Tortoise Shack relies entirely on you. We have no ads, no sponsors. And while there are thousands of people listening, understandably less people have been contributing given the cost of living crisis and how people are struggling with bills at the moment. But if you're one of the fortunate ones and you like what we do, please give something back. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. The link is at the top of the podcast you're about to listen to. It's a couple of quid from you, but it makes all the difference to us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Please join us. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and folks, we're back covering some of the subjects that we have been neglectful of and we have been trying to cover obviously a lot of things that have been happening around the globe and we've had a particular focus for a number of weeks now on events in Gaza, particularly with the Israel uh, IDS reaction to what happened on October 7th and obviously we will continue to cover that but we're trying to get back to some of the really important issues that are happening domestically and one of them, and one of the, there's very few that are more important than it, is the crisis in our camp. Our, our child adolescent mental health services and we are delighted to be rejoined on the podcast again by three of the powerhouses behind the families for reform of cams uh, we have hannah jenny and emer ladies it's great to see you all thank you for coming back and chatting to us and i know you guys have been exceptionally busy making sure it stays on the agenda uh, even even if, even if the world is looking at other things so so it's a credit to you thanks for the work that you're doing it's good to see you all um can we start in the last 24 hours? Uh, you've been, as I said, very busy. You put forward a report. Uh, and Can I get maybe Hannah to come in and, and give us a little bit of an overview of some of the, some of the things that you looked at in the, in, in the report and, and what's your overall sense of some of the findings? And then we'll maybe get into a little bit of some of the ones that shocked me, even if they didn't shock you guys. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Nice to see you both again. Um, so, uh, yesterday we published a report, and um, it's looking at access to CAMS for kids with a dual diagnosis. So we looked at kids who are autistic, uh, kids with intellectual disabilities, and then kids with ADHD. And um, we had heard that the committee for children was going to be looking at this topic at the beginning of December. Um, and we emailed and asked, could we get an invite? We'd love to go along and speak. And they wrote back and said they would accept a written submission. So obviously we are del delighted to be offered the opportunity to send in a written submission. We are still hoping we might still get an in-person invite because they're obviously going to be talking about our work and our families. So it'd be brilliant to have a seat at that table. Um, so I suppose the report came about. We've been doing different surveys within the group. Um, we initially found out that 60% of our members have a kid who is autistic and about 30% have a kid who has an intellectual disability. Um, it was coming up again and again that these kids aren't, you know, getting the service that they deserve. And um, so we started looking into it more. We've ran a number of surveys and different polls at this point. So initially, um, 85% of our members 
who have an autistic kid said that they felt that the diagnosis of autism had negatively impacted the support and services they received. Um, and we were invited into Leinster House to speak about two weeks ago. So we wanted a little bit more information on that. Um, so we went back out to the group again and the stories that were coming in, they were fairly shocking, to be honest. Um, and a common theme was actually kids with suicidal ideation being turned away from CAMS. Um, and this one, I suppose it just is mind blowing. It's so shocking, first of all. Um, and it also is just dangerous. Um, so a lot of our families have been dealing with these issues in isolation. So perhaps for the first time we've all come together. So we can start recognizing and identifying these common themes and common experiences. Um, you know, the HSE denies that there is any discrimination against autistic kids. So we really do say, read that submission and make up your own mind. Um, we've endless stats and quotes and we've more coming in. So we put the submission out yesterday and more people have been coming in to me since, you know, I had someone coming in to me today with a story about her daughter who had suicidal ideation um, and was turned away because she hadn't actually tried to commit suicide. So she was only thinking about it. So, you know, it wasn't considered an urgent case. Um, and it's these sort of cases. I know there's another one in the submission of a nine-year-old girl and the GP wrote a letter into CAM saying that she was extremely distressed. She um, wants, you know, she didn't want to be here anymore and she didn't want to be alive. And CAMs who never met that girl wrote back and said, you know, this was normal behavior for children with a disability and it didn't amount to a moderate to severe mental health issue. So, I just can't, I personally can't get my head around it. Um, I think we have been busy the last six months. I think the last time we talked to you was two months in. So we are still a new group and we've been pretty busy, but anytime we get tired, we hear more of these stories and we hear that there's more people who've joined the group who have lost their children at this point. So, you know, we've everything to fight for. Um, so I don't think we're going to be losing the fight anytime soon. That's a pretty shocking, um, revelation that that autistic children are discriminated against that is a pretty shocking revelation is there a way of making that tangible for this government um i suppose at the moment what we're trying to do is we're trying to knock on every door we're trying to meet every politician who will meet us and um, we have been invited in to speak at the finnegal parliamentary party i think it's in two weeks time we're going to be talking to the green party in a week's time I suppose my concern at the moment is what happens when we run out of people to talk to, you know, if they're actively letting us talk, but they're not listening. And, um, you know, it's not something new. These concerns have been there. They haven't been prioritized. There's some conscious decision making going on leading to people not prioritizing it. Um, and we don't know exactly what's at play, but, you know, I, I, we are concerned. We're like, we've been, we, we're not interested in being promoted. We're interested in action at this point. I suppose the difference with that then when you're dealing with TDs is that you need something definitive from a TD when you walk away Mark. rather than them just ticking a box. Um, can I ask a, a very, a very simple question? Um, have you looked at other campaigns, guys, that have, you know, we've seen it in terms of, say, the scoliosis campaign? whereby they, they did these things and everybody huddled around, everybody got a picture taken with, with the minister who was at there at the time and everybody got a commitment that something would be done in some stage in the future. 
And have you looked at that and said, well, let's try and avoid those pitfalls because we've seen that that, that eventually what happened there was the, the goals just got kicked, the, the, the targets just got kicked further out, you know, from no child will be left six months to no child will be left 12 months to now we'll send the children somewhere else to get it done. Emer, have you maybe got some thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I suppose the, the frightening thing with CAMS is the number of children. Like, I mean, a modest assessment would be 20% of the population will need CAM services. So if you look at the number of children, that's that's on the low end. I would say realistically it's higher than that. And if you look at the number of children that are waiting to be seen, who have gotten private diagnosis, not getting additional therapies that they really could do with having, um, children who are in the service getting very limited services or not adequate services. And then, as Hannah has said, you have the children who have autism that are being discriminated against, children with intellectual disabilities. Jenny will speak to her own story and has done before. I mean, where her child needs so many services and she's not getting anything at the moment. I mean, it's an appalling reality. So I actually think the numbers of kids that are affected and the number of families, because, but the number of families that will have more than one child who's in need of those services, I think, I think we have a lot more, I think we've scale here. Um, and I, I honestly feel that you know, we're making a lot of noise. I think we need to keep making it. And I honestly feel that this, the way that these children are being treated is no different than what was done. It's been done by the state now, but it was done what was done by the church years ago to children in care. These are children whose parents are able to speak up for them. What about the children whose parents can't? And they're the ones that you really worry for. So it's hard to know where we go with it. It's hard to know how long they'll listen to us for or what action we'll get. But I certainly feel that for the first time, as Hannah has said, we've got a group of very confident and competent people working together and we all have a single goal and, and that Jenny, how are you finding working huh? how are you finding working as a group together do you feel that that has helped with your own situation it massively on a personal level yeah because you're you realize you're not alone you probably realize that there's so many other people in worse situations and that doesn't make your situation better but i think it makes you realize okay i'm not alone in this and we can't all be ignored. And the other thing I suppose that has come out over the last couple of months, which wasn't as evident early on, is that this is a nat- nationwide issue. It's not just particular areas of the country where the services are at lower level or they're weaker. It's actually nationally the service is just not working. It's broken. And I suppose the other point that we've always been at pains to, to note is the staff we're all encountering are really good and they're very committed, but they're burnt out or they're close to burnout and they're working with teams that are probably at 40, 50% capacity. Jenny, I'll come to you next on this. So you've come together as a group. You're seeing more, I presume, patterns of, of where the inadequacies are within the system. You have more parents working together. So, you know, you know, you're not alone. You were one of a very large number of people in the country who's suffering from this services. And Tony has a phrase that he uses all the time. What gets measured gets done. Do you think now that there's some measure being meant measurement of sorts being put on the service that was never there before? Yeah, absolutely. Because especially a lot of these children aren't getting into the numbers that are out there, like they're just being refused from waiting lists. So they're not even being reflected in the numbers. Um, Like more and more families, as Hannah said, are hearing about our group now. And 
they probably weren't even aware that the HSE said these services should be in place for them. They're not there. But, you know, it was very late in the game where I was actually made aware that in my situation, that an intellectual disability CAMS should be available to children. I was just being refused for months. And then at the last hurdle, they said, yeah, this service should be there for you, but it's not. Whereas they were kind of gaslighting me the whole way that I should just not be receiving any service. Um, And I think a lot of parents now are realising there should be something there to help those children. They shouldn't just be sitting at home dealing with what they're dealing with. Um, and, And I definitely think like Hannah has been amazing at correlating all the numbers and getting people's stories into really good data that we can go forward with numbers that people can't deny. They can't deny that there is a problem there. And I know you wanted to come in there a second ago. Do you want to just give us your thoughts on what's been said? Yeah, I think there was just a question about how we looked at any other campaigns. Um, and I think, you know, we've had a few people join the group who have been involved in different campaigns. So we have a new member who is involved in the um, family support group for the carry cams issues. Mm. So they obviously have had their eyes opened hugely over the last year or two and have shared some insights with us. So I suppose we just want to make sure, you know, that we're going in optimistic, but not naively, um, and that we're going in realistic, but not so much that we give up hope. So we're just trying to strike the right balance because I think you need a bit of optimism to keep going with it. Um, But you have to be really realistic about what's actually on the table and who you need to convince. And it's usually quite a small number of people. The Americans call it hopium. You're allowed, you're allowed to have a small glass of hopium, but you don't drink too much hopium or, or it'll or it'll, it'll just it'll get intoxicated. Um, just uh, can we go to some of the findings, though, because Martin said some of the stuff was shocking. But, you know, the 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 idea that. And I noticed, God, you're all, no, no one's going to thank me for this comparison, but we see it in so many Irish areas whereby, it, and they are related often to mental health. So for someone who has a dual diagnosis, who has a problem with addiction, for example, they can't get treatment for mental health because they say, well, go get clean and then come back and talk to us. And um, this, I, you know, this, and, and again, I don't like the phrase clean, by the way. I, I you know, it, it infers something else on the other side of it. But nonetheless, my point being, is it is it helpful now where you've, you're all sitting around and saying, well, and I think it is, but, it, like, but is it helpful where you sit and you look and go and look at statistics and say, well, actually, they're saying, this dual diagnosis thing, yeah, no, we'd rather you fit this box, and if you don't, um, we we can't, we don't have this 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 joint up thinking. Uh, has that been an eye opener for you, or were you just expecting to find discover that? I think we all knew it individually, as in, you know, everyone sharing their story has had some kind of issue where they've been told this isn't the right service for you. You know, that ch- your child who's having some you know in your heart some serious mental health issue it's just autism or you know they it's that explaining away you're put in an impossible situation and it's very hard to argue it on your own as a family whereas actually coming together has made it that's kind of I suppose we have a stronger case at this point I know a few members just yesterday were saying it was actually a relief for them to find there are other families in a similar position like especially when suicidal ideation who've been turned away because a lot of the families are really traumatized by what happened to them and still are. You know, I suppose the thing is our members are, you know, we have really active members and they'll have to drop out for a while and um, because they'll have a crisis at home. And um, so it's just an ongoing issue. Um, 
I might have to edit this, but I can't remember what the question no, was. No, no, I no, you're absolutely fine. I I what I was getting at was the fact that you've you've actually answered it perfectly because you've 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 all known in your hearts that it can't just be me, Jenny. You've known Emer, you you're all nodding your heads, it can't just be me. But then the power of actually saying, Well, actually it's you know, it's over fifty percent of us believe we're being discriminated against. It's it's over eighty percent of in, in certain cases. And then as Emer quite rightly points out, and I think this is really to your credit, um the first time, and I'd say to people, go back and listen to the first uh, time where we spoke to the ladies, they, they told their personal stories. You all identified the power of being able to pay privately. You know, like I was in a fortunate position to be able to pay privately. It was this awful phrase because the system let everybody down. And Emer pointed out only a couple of minutes ago that that means that there's probably someone sitting at home right now who doesn't have those means and doesn't have that support. And you guys get to speak and put put forward that but you're absolutely trying to speak for everybody and I think that's to your eternal credit so you know it's really wonderful that that is the case but when we look at it like Jenny I know in your situation it's it's a very difficult thing so it's, so beyond the support um of of your of your friends has there been you know even in the even in the increases in the budget that we've seen recently have you seen anything that gave you hope that maybe they are taking this more seriously I think the coverage of the the press coverage and keeping it in people's, you know, view is is really important. Like in my uh, personal situation, um, we still don't have mental health access for my daughter and no um, idea when it might be rolled out. I have personally had to resolve myself to the fact that I probably won't get help for our personal situation. Um, and my daughter's 10 and... So realistically, at this moment in time, I don't have access to mental health services for her and for another eight years. But so that is not why I'm coming out and telling my story. I just know the power of telling the story. And, I, and it's just not right. And while I have the energy to go out and annoy people about it, we'll keep going. But like I, my own personal story was brought up in the doll by um, a Sinn Féin TD, Martin Kenny. And I got, um, you know, Michal Martin said in the Dáil that it was not right that a child with dual diagnosis would be denied these services. And I did get um, a kind of a promise of that this would be followed up, but I still haven't heard anything. Now, I'm still waiting to see maybe something will come back, but it has been some time and it just seems so impossible to get to the root of this and like that, people just constantly plumossing you, telling you, you know, this isn't right. Keep going. And it's like, yeah, but for what? What are we actually going to get? What are you going to tell us that you're going to give us in the end? Um, it's very hard to pin anything concrete down, but we'll keep going with it. But at the moment, there's still it seems to be getting worse in real life, really. Hannah, but, is, is there... Like, I know you have to do the old shake hands and, and ask ministers. And I, and I look, I find all of that extremely frustrating because I know this is a game of agency and they just want to tick boxes. And I do know that. With that carrot approach, have you in your bag a stick approach as well, where you can say, look, sooner or later, we're just going to trip across the right case here that's going to go all this way to Supreme Court and we will do it. I mean, is that is that stick somewhere in the bag of goods as well? Or is it a thought that it may be in the bag of goods as well? I don't think we're ruling anything out. But I think at the moment, we are 
trying with the approach we're taking. I suppose we are still quite early in the game with it. Um, you know, a lot of us, I suppose, as Jenny said, we're looking at kind of better um, services and supports for children going forward. We're not kind of maybe going back retrospectively as much. I think once you go legal, you can kind of get stuck in a spiral of um, adversarial kind of confrontation. And the H, yeah, yeah, the HSE, I'm sure, would wear us down. So um, I suppose we're just trying to work out, well, what way can we keep pushing, looking after our own mental health, looking after our own children? Um, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll have to consider it if we don't get that far. Um, cause we're not like, we're not really interested in doing the photo ops and, um, those kind of pieces. Like we're not here for that. We all work. We all have jobs. We're not, you know, people keep saying, Oh, will you set up a charity? It's like, we don't want to do that. You know, what we want is for the kids to be looked after. So there doesn't need to be a charity campaigning for this. Um, so yeah, we'll see how far we get. Um, yeah, we're definitely not ruling anything out, though. Um, and we did, I suppose, just to say, though, we had a meeting with Minister Mary Butler and Jenny was at that meeting and spoke again. Like, you know, Jenny's doing great work in terms of the, the services for kids with intellectual disabilities, and there really aren't any. Um, and I suppose what we're being told is maybe they'll look at uh, like a telehealth service or um, they might be able to let kids in one area who can't access a service cross the border and access a service in another area. But there's literally no timeframes for any of these kind of possibilities that seem to just be on their mind. So what we need now is some tangible kind of action plan. You know, when are they hoping to deliver certain things by? Because at the moment, it's very vague. And we have questions in with the Department of Health from the end of September. Uh, we haven't got any responses back. And that's just seeking information on existing services um, so I suppose it's making us doubt, well, how fast can they be about actually turning around, like, what is a mess of a service if they can't even respond to questions? An election would help, Hannah, in that you could go to every candidate and you could give them the checklist so, the, of what you want sorry, to Emer, sign Emer, up what were you to. saying? No, I was just going to say, like, to that point, I mean, we're all aware that there will be an election coming up fairly soon. I mean, there's five TDs in the, in the constituency I'm in oh. across five different, you know, I've, there's uh, four connected to parties, in, sorry, two independents and three connected to parties. So in advance of our session in Leinster House, we had sent, um, you know, a pre- the presentation we were going to, or, sorry, details of what we were going to present and it invited them to it. I got a response back from two. One promised to be there. The other said that she was unable to be there on the day, but would have somebody from her office because she she knew she was going to be tied up with other stuff, which was fair enough. And she did, in fairness, come and make herself known to us and introduced herself to me after the session. Um, But the person who had given their word that they would come never showed up. (laughs) And when I went back to say, I was very disappointed you didn't, I didn't get to meet you. There was some very bland, you know, excuse given. And the other three who didn't come back, again, I sent, you know, kind of fairly, you know, very disappointed that you, you weren't there and that there was nobody from your party there. And the responses were quite bland. It was actually quite um, insulting. And I said that in the email. I actually said it's quite insulting for our children that nobody from your party took the time to attend. So I suppose what we're doing as well in the background is we have asked members as far as possible to send out mail kind of kind of almost like a mail shot too but not, a bit more than that to kind of mm. tailoring it and if they want to set, to make it more specific to their own story 
send it to your local TDs. And we have circulated a list of every sitting TD and senator in the country and asked people to populate. Can you can you tick? You've approached this, whatever TDs you've approached. So we will have a metric there of who's been approached. And I suppose our target is that nobody can say that they didn't receive it. Yeah. Nobody can say that they haven't heard our message or seen the data. Um, because I think on the back of our meeting in Leinster House a couple of weeks ago, it was circulated to all sitting TDs and senators. So I don't believe any of them can say at this point they haven't got it. Imer, that's brilliant because we've seen, I and I've seen myself, people who campaign in, in various different, you know, situations for survivors of certain, you know, child sexual abuse and, and all of the all of the things that we've we've worked with over the years. Some of the most powerful things you can do is that where you tailor those people and you're able to say to them that this is now an issue for you and the mail shot, um, it's it's you know you can send an angry tweet that that goes nowhere you know but if you if you become an email if you become a phone call worse if you doorstep them <laughs> it's a, it's even more difficult but but to have that um, where people are tailoring it it's really really powerful um and 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 that's brilliant organi- organizing that for some for an or- for a group as you say that's only a few months on the go it is very disheartening to see so many tds and different parties uh already stepping away because that that happens in these things when they lose impetus they wonder you know um what's worth their time and what's not but i want to come back a little bit to some of the findings and one of the ones that was and i know it's not the biggest of the numbers that you that you found but i i think i put it out on twitter yesterday myself i said nearly 20 percent of people felt that the child with, with being autistic was being used to to regularly discharge them from services so the idea that we- that 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 a diagnosis of autism was being weaponized to get you off a list, I don't know. Does anybody want to comment on that? Because I just read that and thought to myself, going, "This is just criminal." Like we're already failing children at so many levels, but we're now saying, you know, um, it's like the letter and. God forgive me, lots of people are waiting on them. We're waiting on letters for children who are on waiting lists for different things. And they, But you get a letter, your heart's in your mouth, and the letter says, do you want to stay on the list? You know, <laughs> that's what we all get now. Everybody's nodding here. But to, to hear that they're using autism to discharge people, folks, it must have been, um, uh, for me, it was really a real disgusting thing to read. I think, um, yeah, it wasn't surprising to any of us. I think a lot of us have had the experience. Um, and I suppose... It's shocking that like kids, you know, they are using autism to discharge kids, but I suppose they mind kids who aren't getting in in the first place as well. So you have such difficulty getting in if you have an autistic kid. Once you're in there, you you have this huge kind of burden of proof on you that you have to keep proving there's a mental health issue at play um, and they will bring everything back to the autism to try and discharge you. Uh, and it's an ongoing thing because the thing is the psychiatrists ch- change every six months. So you might have finally convinced one, yeah, there's a serious mental health issue, but the next one will come in and start repeating the same. And um, so it's not that you just have to convince one team there's a problem. It's an ongoing fight. Um, and I know from my own personal experience, we have a new psychiatrist on board now, and he started mentioning the exact same thing at my daughter's recent appointment. And yeah, so it's not a surprise. It is shocking. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting more immune to the level of shock. I keep thinking I am. And then I hear another story. But yeah, that's that statistic yeah. didn't shock yeah. I mean, me. I said it. Je- um, Jenny looked at me as to say, what, what are you annoyed about? Like, Tony, this is the most obvious <laughs> thing in the world. I know. And, and I wouldn't mind if the medical kind of research showed that the same treatments or anything didn't work on children with an autism diagnosis. But it shows that, you know, psychiatry works very similar for their symptoms, the same as any other child. Um, like especially a child like mine, one of her diagnoses is autism, but ADHD, ADHD, you know, responds very well to psychiatry therapies. Um, but once them CAMS themselves assessed my daughter for her intellectual disability, and once they had that on paper, it was like everything else was null and void. Those paths of treatment were not open to her because, you know, an intellectual disability and it's the same with autism anything that can go under that heading it makes everything else null and void even though my child's anxiety and depression is just as valid as the anxiety and depression of of a neurotypical child and just as treatable so i don't know what their their basis is for denying these children there's certainly no impetus to provide the best for the children to provide the best the other problem there's certainly no impetus to make the 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 dream of the constitution of every child being cherished that's not there do you find it difficult to get that sea change that we should be providing this as standard it's not that everybody should have to fight for this do you find the level of of i suppose ignorance within political parties leaves you with your jaw on the floor Emer, i know you wanted to comment there sorry i could hear you yeah, no, I, I suppose just to follow on from Jenny's point, the, the reality of it is that children generally don't have one diagnosis. A lot of these diagnoses coexist. So you might have two or three. You know, and as, as Jenny correctly said, a child that has ADHD, CAMS will accept, but that child could also have autism. So you're, you're at the kind of the burden of proof is on the parent to prove which one nearly trumps the other to get the care that the child needs. So it's something that you hope by highlighting it and you hope by getting more people to listen that it might bring about some change, that the government will start to listen. Um, I felt as well the day we were in Leinster House that there was a few people that came to to listen to the session were visibly upset. They were quite shocked and visibly upset and, and have engaged since with us, which has been, we hope, promising. But who knows, I think... Six months from now, we'll probably tell a tale, being honest. Um, just to back to Martin's point, though, uh, and this is where we started when we spoke to you guys first. The idea then, yet again, that, and I know, and you've all said, and it's kind of really going to bother me now in an hour's time after we finish, that that um, that you, you're not hoping to get change for maybe your own children right now, but you're hoping to protect the children that come behind us. But we also know that if we don't treat these people now, children now, we, we can impact them going forward and you know their ability to, 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 to do other things in later life. How do how do we understand how do we change the mindset? I mean, I know, and again, I maybe I'm wrong. Mark Ward, I seems to have been very active on this, but uh, and we we've said about a political change, but there has to be an acceptance. It's because I'm sick of seeing the nonsense that we all hear every you know every January. It's Blue Monday, and it's okay not to be okay, and um, you know, and and talk to someone, and uh, and then and but but don't talk to a professional because you can't get access to them, um, and and then we see 
a budget whereby we've given one billion in tax cuts. One billion in tax cuts and and mental health reform. We're looking for like an additional one hundred twenty million in certain areas. And you're thinking, are, are we really serious about this as a country, ladies? And we just are we just going to continue to fail our children? These are our children. This isn't like it's all good, Duncan on Martin and me all you want. We're straight white middle class men. We deserve it. But <laughs> please protect our children better. Is there any? How do you feel about that when you see it in the context of? you know, the, 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 the budgetary decisions they've made. Yeah, I think so. We met with the Department of Health who were very quick to tell us there was no shortage of funding um, and that wasn't the issue at play. Um, and when you actually look at the National Mental Health Policy and at the kind of the reports in terms of the milestones, a lot of them are reported as not being achieved because of a lack of funding. So we're very aware there's you know, a lot of different stories being told out there. Um, I think any of those kind of comments about cherishing the children equally or making Ireland the best country for a child to live in is so jarring because it seems to only apply to a certain, maybe small cohort of children. Definitely doesn't apply to autistic children, doesn't apply to children with an intellectual disability or kids with ADHD. And um, so I, we would probably prefer people didn't make those comments at all if they can't stand over them because um, it nearly seems worse. Um, you know, the budget, Mary Butler has come out and said herself publicly she was disappointed with the amount allocated to mental health. Um, so obviously somewhere in senior government decisions are being made to not prioritize mental health. Um, she has said that she's going to prioritize what money she has on CAMS. Um, but that's going to be at the expense of the adult mental health services. So, there are meant to be ADHD adult clinics being rolled out and they're not going to be now. So our kids are going into that system. So we don't think it should be one or the other. There should be prioritization of mental health as a whole um, and different groups shouldn't be played against each other. Um, you know, we're all looking after our families and our kids and that's what the government should be doing also. Hannah, Amor, Jenny, thank you very much for coming on this. I, I would say a great start. You're you're after making a great start. Very quick progress. Very, very quick progress, I have to say. So if you can keep that impetus up, hopefully you can get uh, we get a new administration, somebody that'll actually listen, and that the needs of children will be put first. And you're brilliant advocates for your own children and everybody else's children. I mean, remember that. Really brilliant advocates for your children. Um, you know, you are speaking for them. That is what you are doing. And, you know, it's a huge task you've undertaken. And we do certainly wish you the best of luck with it. Absolutely. I will say just on so on this, though, Martin, you're aiming at an administration. These things do take it takes a long time to turn a ship, you know, and this is a big, a big undertaking. It doesn't matter really sometimes who is the particular minister in power. There are, the HSC is a myriad of, of different issues. We have problems in, in, in different, different departments and we know that it all has to happen, but I do believe that it is possible. And in the country that yet again, I mean, we're, we're recording this on, on a Thursday afternoon and Ireland is, is um, being forced to take 13 billion off Apple. Like, you know, we're in a situation where the government has lost its case about about the Apple money. And uh, we're talking about, about resources. We have the resources. There's nothing we, we need, our children need, that we can't afford. And he's right about one thing, folks. You're, you're well ahead of the game in how you've been campaigning and, and long may that continue uh, and, and, don't, and don't settle for platitudes. Let's make sure that we get that tangible change. 
and your credit to your credit to your families and to the people who you're advocating for. So thanks for that. Is there any? Have you got any final anybody any, like where people can find you, support you, help you, or anything else like that before we wrap up? Yeah, it'd be great if people could give us a follow on Twitter. It's the one place we've been a bit slow on, and it's probably where we're doing most of the public-facing work. And um, I think we've been doing a lot of internal work, and you know, our membership has grown to I think we've like six hundred and sixty-six members at the moment. Um, so, but Twitter, if people could give us a follow and help share and the, our the, our tweets and our messages, that'd be really appreciated. The, the Twitter handle will be at the very bottom of this podcast, so it's nice and simple. All you got to do is click on it and hit the follow button, folks. So, so we'll we'll go from there. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for all your support, and uh, do keep an eye on this. And we will promise not to leave it so long. We do need to continue to cover these things, and um, and we will do our best to under the under the under the worst of circumstances at the moment. But we keep on going. Thanks again, folks. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.